This is the Plucked Chicken Podcast. Today I'm joined in studio by Ben Oakery, Pastor Ben Oakery over at Calvary Lutheran Church in Topeka, North Topeka that is, and uh, we are going to be listening to a sermon that was delivered here, I believe it's called Grace Fellowship, I need to check on that, Grace Fellowship maybe, uh, here in Topeka, and the subject was on baptism. So we'll give it a listen and see what he has to say. I am not a One Direction fan, and I did not choose that song. Just want to make that known. So One Direction. That's, I guess. So that's, I mean, that's interesting in and of itself. That, that in and of itself is enough to make you go, what's going on here? What, 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 are, what are they grounding these people in if it's just pop culture? Pastor Oakery, we are about three seconds into this sermon. We're, we're off to a tremendous start. Welcome to uh, this brand new teaching series called That One Thing. Uh, we're going to spend that next three weeks together talking about that one thing, you know? I do love the titles that they use for anything because you always have to have that air of mystery to lure people in. We're going to talk about that one thing, mm-hmm. you know, that one thing. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that we're going to talk about. It's its always, um, well, and he can't even tell us now because he wants to keep us on, on the hook. And that's what's going to draw us and not, not scripture, not any kind of truth, just a little bit of mystery that he's fabricated for us. That one thing, um, there's, a, there's something um, in your life, in your relationship with God, that one thing Uh, Maybe for you, it's um, I need to start reading the Bible on a daily basis. I need to start studying it. Maybe for you, it's I need to get into a small group so I can be encouraged, so I can be challenged, so I can learn to grow in community. Uh, Maybe for you, there's a a reason in your life to put aside intentional time every single day for prayer and silence. Um, Maybe the one thing for you is you need to forgive somebody. Maybe the one thing for you is you need to have a conversation uh, with somebody at work, um, somebody at the gym, somebody in your neighborhood um, that God has laid on your heart to talk to them about what he's doing in your life and what he can do in theirs. There's all kinds of things that we could talk about that we all have that one thing. There's a lot of things there. And every single one of those things is very powerful law. Uh, Your one thing is something you need to do, uh, whether it's talk to that person, whether it's you be in Bible study. And actually, this isn't bad if it goes in the right direction, because this is powerful law, and this can be very condemning law if he lets it be condemning law. I'd like to see where he goes with it. Sure. Um, Would you like for me to tell you where he goes with it? Well, sure. He's using that as a segue. All of this is segue material to get to baptism. Baptism is the one thing that you might need to be doing. So there's almost a good sermon there. All these things that you could be doing, that's not the thing you need. What you need is the gift of baptism in your life. You need Christ to come into your life, but you're saying that's not what he's going to say about baptism. No, you're... you're, I'm already, I'm over-Lutheranizing this Yes, that's exactly what you're doing. Well, I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt without knowing. I get it, I get it. So for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about that one thing. We're going to talk about three separate one things. And today, um, I want to kick off this series by talking about baptism. 
And um, I know that sounds so engaging and exciting um, to talk about, uh, but I'm going to do my best, uh, as best as I know how, to make it um, engaging. And there's, there's a couple reasons I want us to talk about this. Ultimately, my hidden agenda, which is about to not be so hidden, is that if you're a follower of Jesus and you've never been baptized, I think you should be baptized. Okay, Pastor Oakry, he has left this vagueness here. He's put all of his cards, so to speak, on the table. My question to you is, can one be a follower of Christ without being baptized? Because he's making it sound like there are people in his church that have been at his church who knows how long, and yet for whatever reason they have not been baptized, but yet he still puts them in the category as having, well, as he would say, having made a decision for Christ. Well, it puts me in mind of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts. Did this person come to a saving faith through uh, the word being unpacked for him? Yes. Uh, did that saving, did he have a saving faith before he was baptized? Yes. But then what did he immediately want to do? What is to prevent me from being baptized? And so it drew, drove him to baptism. And so uh, I think the term we like to use sometimes is baptism is necessary, uh, but not absolutely necessary. And, and in this way, the person who's been going through classes and, and learning about the faith uh, is coming to church uh, to be baptized uh, that Sunday. And they get a car accident oh, yeah, and yeah, die. Yeah. That's, the old, that's the old one. Right. And you say, they usually well, get hit by a bus. It's always right, a bus. It's always a bus. And, uh, and, you know, do we say, well, they weren't baptized, so they weren't saved? Well, no, we don't say that. But... Uh, it is really unthinkable that a, that a person who is in the faith would not want to be baptized or choose not to be baptized. That is unthinkable. And, and so a believer is always being drawn into baptism by the Holy Spirit. Well, one of the things that Pastor Bruss and I talk about is, yes, what Christ did for us on the cross, it is distributed to you through baptism. This is how we quote-unquote, get it, obtain yeah. it, receive it, actually would probably be a better word. Well, right. The, the grace of the cross comes to us by means, and that's why we use the words means of grace to describe both the word and uh, the sacraments, which have this promise uh, connected to them. I think you should get baptized. That's my hope, my goal, my desire for you. But the other reason I want to talk about this is because our church is made up of people from all different kinds of, of religious traditions and, and backgrounds and denominations, and we all have an opinion about baptism. Whether you grew up Wesleyan or Methodist or Catholic or Presbyterian or Baptist or Nazarene, you have an opinion about baptism, and my guess is it's not an emotionally neutral opinion. He didn't mention Lutheran, did he? No, which I guess maybe shouldn't surprise me. We're uh, off in the corner, and we're not we're not cool enough to hang out at the at the table with the rest of these folks. Well, but he does have a point. I would think it is okay to have an interesting conversation about baptism, as you know, and as I know, baptism is a really really big deal, and so for things that are really big deals, people get very passionate about that. Yes, but I would say that my passion about the baptism isn't because of my opinion of baptism. It's based on God's word and what it says to me about baptism, which is always, it's, it's always so challenging when we get into this, this kind of conversation. This is never a Ford Chevy debate. 
and I've run into that so many times. Well, you like Fords. I like Chevys. We'll just each go our separate way. Coke One, or Pepsi? Right. I mean, yeah, that level. No, we're, we're getting higher into, into truth claims, not just uh, uh, preferences. And those truth claims are laid out in Scripture, and that's where we need to be. And I hope he at least goes into Scripture to, to make this point. Yeah, I think you're going to be uh, a little hard-pressed to find him going to Scripture. Well, that's disappointing. <laughs> Because that's where I want to stake my claim. And, and of I try, course. And when I have a conversation with any uh, truth with a person, uh, I, try, I do try to say to them, this is what I believe, but it's not my opinion. I'm basing what I'm saying to you on Scripture. And to not be able to say that, well, then it is just your, your opinion. And what's to prevent anybody in that congregation from just shrugging and saying, well, that's, that's nice. But I think what I think, and I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Okay, he is going to uh, bring that up right now. Okay, so listen, listen to this. Your opinion about baptism is not emotionally neutral because baptism can be a very emotional topic. And, and the reason it's so emotional is because what you were taught about baptism, the, 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 the environment, the church culture that you grew up in, they taught you that your view of baptism is right. And you're right because you're right about baptism. And if you come into contact with somebody else who has a different view about baptism and you start having a conversation with that, it can get really interesting really quick because you're right and they're right and the two of you are right. It can be an interesting conversation. Um, Those of you who grew up Baptist, uh, you thought you did it right, right? I mean, Baptist is in your name, so obviously you were doing it right. You had the corner. I mean, what's a Presbyterian anyway, right? What's a Methodist? In it? What in the world is a Wesleyan? Anyway, you had Baptist in your name, so obviously you guys were doing it right. You had a corner on the market. Uh, maybe those of you who are raised Catholic, you were taught something completely different than us Protestants. Um, you were taught that baptism is a part of salvation, so consequently Catholics tend to, to baptize babies really, really early, and that's a conversation I have on a fairly frequent basis. For some reason, um, this church, Grace Point, attracts Catholics. I don't know why, because nothing that we do looks Catholic at all, Um, but we tend to attract Catholics, and, and I have that conversation on a fairly regular basis. You know, what about this, and what about this, and this is what I taught, and this is what I was taught, and, and I don't have a problem having that conversation at all, but it's hardly ever emotionally neutral when it comes to having that conversation. And the reason all of that exists is because of something that Jesus said. Jesus, it's Jesus' fault, okay? There, there's, there's a reason. The reason that all of that stuff exists is because of Jesus. He said something, and it was one of his most famous statements he's ever made, And he said it at the very end of his ministry here on earth, which shows you kind of how important he thought it was. And here's what he said. He said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, or people groups. And here's our word, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. If you've ever been a part of a baptism, um, you've heard the pastor or the priest use that phrase in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, in, and maybe you thought it was just some churchy thing they threw in there because it sounds cool, but it's actually what Jesus told us to do. He said, Here, here's what I want you to do. I'm leaving. You guys are staying. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into all the world. And, and anybody that you come into contact with, I want you to teach them. I want you to tell them about what I've told you, about what I've taught you. And then as I build my church through you, as, as churches get planted and as people decide to follow me and, and subscribe to my way of living, I want you to baptize them in, in God's name, in the name of the Father, 
I want you to baptize them in my name, and I want you to baptize them in the name of the Holy Spirit. Sounded like modalism. Yes, and it's this, it's this stealth theology that gets snuck in there. Well, once you've decided, nowhere in that text is there any kind of decision. And he was putting the teaching part first and the baptizing second. Once the church gets planted, then I want you to baptize them. Yeah. It's, he's got it reversed. Baptism yes. is the entrance into the church, not something that you decide to do later right. after hearing the teaching. Well, and it, it, that that in and of itself, and, and I think we have to be careful here because, of course, the the Baptists, and, and probably he as well, would say, well, see, it says believe and be baptized, all of you. And see, You mean in Peter's sermon in Acts chapter yeah, 2. Yeah, and so belief comes before baptism there. And again, whenever you're approaching Scripture in this way, I, you just have to ask yourself, are they talking in a chronological way? Mm-hmm. Or are they just talking in a in a collective way? And even for us, the baptizing happens and the teaching happens, and we, we're we not always going to just be real formal. Like, you have to be—before we teach you anything about Jesus, sure. we have to baptize you. Or, but, you know, before you can ever be baptized, you have to know everything about the faith. There's always going to be a, 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 a line in there. And for me, the line is usually going to be th- that desire to be baptized, uh, kind of like the Ethiopian eunuch again, and then just good order. Yeah, you want to be baptized, and we and we have an order here. We're going through membership classes, and let's keep unpacking that and growing into kind of this basic knowledge of the faith before we do that. When I'm dealing with an adult, of course, when I'm dealing with an infant, it's a it's a whole different matter as mm-hmm. far as that goes. And so, I don't necessarily want to read this as kind of chronological. First, baptize, then teach. Um, but certainly, it it helps to reject the Baptist claim on on Peter saying, well, repent, uh, believe and be baptized. Well, sometimes they flip the order. And I think it just shows that it, we're talking about a collective thing. Uh, our, our teaching and our being baptized belong together. And this is, this is the verse, this is the, the phrase, this is kind of the, 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 the starting point where everybody, all Christians, all denominations agree with. This is, this is it. After this verse, it goes everywhere goes into all kinds of different ideas and, and directions and beliefs. So for a few minutes this morning, I just want to show you not just what, what Scripture has to say about baptism. I also want to show you what we learned from history about baptism. Because when you put those two together, baptism really isn't as confusing as we've made it down throughout church history. And again, my not-so-hidden agenda is for those of you who are followers of Jesus and you've never been baptized and we're going to talk about this, that you would take care of this one thing in your relationship with him. Because I've been instructed as a church leader to create disciples. And one of the things that I've been instructed to do as I create disciples is to baptize you. So I want you to take that important step and do that. And we'll talk about why that's important here in a minute. Now, do you see how baptism is already a part of the law? Just like what we heard in the opening salvo, that little monologue about there might be one thing you need to do, and you pointed out this is law. Well, here we have something that is a sacrament, that is a gift, and it is something, because I've been told to do this, make disciples, this is something I've got to do, so I really want you to consider it for those of you who follow Jesus and are not baptized. Yeah, it's uh, evangelical taekwondo where they they kind of take the force of the text and then they flip it on its head 
oh, God's doing stuff. Well, actually, it's it's me doing stuff. And, and even he is taking credit. Look, you need to be baptized because I have an obligation based on Scripture to do it. Well, look, I'm not going to. There, there is an obligation. There's a command. Go, uh, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. How are you going to do that? You're going to do it through baptizing and you're going to do it through teaching. Agreed. That command is so important. What I'm, what I'm wondering about and what I doubt we're going to get to is the promise connected to baptism. And if you miss the promise, then you're never going to call this a sacrament. Correct. What you're going to call it is an ordinance. That's right. And and an ordinance is a man-made thing you do. And, th- and this is a realistic load roadblock we have with the Baptists and, and evangelical churches is they see baptism as a man-made act. And so when we say baptism saves you, they're saying, you're saying a man-made act saves you? May it not be. And we would agree with that. No, man, man, no human work can save you. We agree. Baptism is not a human work. And so that is the fundamental difference. And that's why we call it a, a sacrament, the sacred thing that God has given us. And it's not just a command. There's a promise attached to it. And so what you just said, I think our listeners will be able to pinpoint the difference between that and what is being preached. I, I hope so. Today, um, I'm going to ask you to put on your thinking caps, okay? If you came today um, here at the Hundum campus or if you came to Grace Point North um, and you thought, I'm not going to have to think today, I'm sorry, but you are, okay? But at the same time, the same time, you guys are going to get this because you guys are smarter and more sophisticated than the average American Christian because you come to this church. <laughs> so you're smarter, So you're going to have no problem getting this, okay? So here we go. A little Greek word that's translated baptize or baptism in your English Bible is the Greek word baptizo, okay? Baptizo, and the little accent there is on the tizo. So say that with me. Baptizo. Now, that wasn't good enough. Accentuate it. Baptizo. There you go. Kind of go up a little bit. Baptizo, okay? Um, (laughs) That's not, you already know this. You already know this, but the New Testament was originally written in Greek, okay? So when the, the scholars got the Greek New Testament and started translating it into English, which I'm so glad they did, um, they would do a one-to-one translation. So when they saw a Greek word, they would translate it into its English word. So they, when they got to the Greek word the, theos, they would translate it God. When they got to, the, to the, the, the derivative of the verb luo, they would write the word loose or free, Whatever the Greek word was, they translated it to the English word. But there are a few words where that doesn't work. There are a few words where that, those, those words um, just don't line up like that, and one of those words is baptizo. In your Bible, when you see the word baptize, it's not a translation of a word. It's what's called a transliteration of a word. And for the four or five of you that don't know what that is, let me explain what that is. Okay? A transliteration is not when you take one word from another language and translate it to another one. It's when you take the letters in one word and translate it into the letters of another language. So baptizo comes, whenever you see the word baptize in your English Bible, this is what the translator did. They got to that word and they said beta, ba, ba, ba. So they put B. And they got the alpha, ah, 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 and they put a, and they went through that entire word, and they just took the English equivalent, and they came up with this word, baptize. But here's where it gets interesting. All right, this is where we need Pastor Bruss in here to, 
to help us with this, you know. I find it so interesting that he is not starting, as you pointed out earlier, he's not starting with the text. He's giving this etymology of the translation of how we got the word baptize. And he's going to go on to say that what it means is to wash. And that obviously that's what it means. And then he's going to talk about how it's not a religious word and all this. I just think he is way off in the weeds. It's interesting that you said he's going to come to the conclusion that it means to wash because normally when you go through this kind of rigmarole, you're trying to get them to the point where you're going to they're going to have the same understanding of baptism that you that you have and in baptist circles they're universally going to say that baptism doesn't mean to wash they're going to see it means definitively to dip or immerse mm-hmm. and you you run across this argument all the time just going on the internet or listening to to preachers talk they want to get into this greek word and they want you to know that it means uh, to dip or immerse, because then you you have to be dipped or immersed mm-hmm. in order to be baptized, which would, of course, take out most forms of infant baptism uh, that are commonly used, certainly in Roman Catholic and, uh, and Lutheran circles. Although I have seen immersion baptism of infants by Orthodox priests. Oh, yeah, three times, right? It's, it is a sight to behold. Just get on YouTube <laughs> and look it up. And it is, they are they are not gentle with those children. And then he, that priest just chucks it back into the mom's arms and she is like, my baby's baptized, I guess. <laughs> so again, I'm, I'm not opposed to immersion, but it's, it's interesting that you say that that's not the conclusion he comes to. And maybe that's, maybe that's because he's in this uh, place where he's trying to integrate a lot of different faith traditions. It just that sounds to me like he's trying to pad out his sermon right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's let's unpack this word for for about five minutes or so because I want to have a good forty five minute sermon for you. Well, and then on top of that, think about this: there is no law and gospel as far as preaching that a Lutheran would understand. Really, this is um, you know this is a sanctified Bible study at this point. It is, and in, but, during the sermon time, right? And and you have a little bit of space in that with a longer sermon at an evangelical church, forty five minute sermon. You're you're going to have to to do a little bit extra and. I think even in in our Lutheran history, uh, some of the longer sermons would have an instructional aspect to them. But this is much more shallow than he's pretending it is. And he's flattering him the whole time, too, which, I mean, I get it. And, it's, and he kind of plays it for laughs. I'm, I'm trying to be generous towards him here. But I guess I would have, if I was going to talk to them about baptism and its etymology, I would have probably spent uh, about a paragraph on it. And uh, I wouldn't have kind of flattered them I would have just said baptizo in the Greek and it means to wash and and let's move on well he's not moving on at least to me because I'm a nerd okay in our language (laughs) baptize is a religious word right I mean we can use it in other language in other terms in other ways but for the most part baptize is a religious term but in Greek it wasn't a religious word It was just a a common word that meant to wash or plunge or soak or dip. That's all that it meant. In Greek literature, um, you find this word baptizo to describe people who drown, um, ships who go down. Um, A lot of times it's used to describe a washing process. Um, One of the the most famous uses in Greek literature was in 200 B.C., uh, a poet and philosopher, a Greek poet and philosopher named Nicander, um, wrote a recipe for making pickles, and he uses the word 
baptizo. He said, you take the vegetable and you baptizo it in boiling water, and then you take it and you baptizo it in vinegar. You've heard this example before? I have. And where was that? Uh, it's usually brought up by Baptists because and the, I, there's other Greek words that mean to, to wash in other ways. And I think in that very famous pickle recipe... There's another word there used when you're just applying oh, the water see. a different way. And, so, and they, they kind of use this to be like, see, baptism does mean to submerge. But again, he's not going there. He's just saying that it's just a, an everyday household word that has no meaning attached. And my question right now is, why does that matter? Because um, I, is he trying to make baptism less than what it is? I of course know. he is. Okay. So his whole point is, I really want you to do this thing, and then I'm going to put a lot of energy into making you think it's not a big deal at all. That is exactly what he's doing. Well, good on him. And then it goes to heaven when it dies? <laughs> right? No, no. It's just the common Greek word for, for dip or plunge or soak that has become a religious term in, in English. Now, again, in your English Bible, the translators sometimes translated baptizo as wash. And other times, they transliterated it as baptized. So sometimes they got to the word and they said, no, that means to wash. And other times they got to the word and they said, no, that means to baptize. And let me show you a couple examples of what I'm talking about from the New Testament. Here's the first example. Jesus was talking about religious leaders in Mark 7. And this is what he says. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they baptizo. And they observe many other traditions, such as the, and it's a derivative of the same word, baptizo, washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So, okay, they have to get baptized before they eat? They have to baptize their silverware before they eat? No, it's just wash. It's like you would wash before you ate, you would wash your dishes before you use them. Common term, I meant to wash or dip or soak. Here's another example from Luke 11. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. So was he concerned Jesus didn't get baptized before the meal? Of course not. Of course not. He just noticed that Jesus didn't wash his hands before the meal. And what word do you think was used in the original language? Baptizo. Baptizo. So it was a very common word. And in our Bible, sometimes it's translated wash, sometimes it's translated Baptized, which leads us to the question, and I know you're already going there mentally, okay? You're way ahead of me. The question, how did this word take on religious or, or theological meaning? Why didn't the translators just put wash every time? Why did they transliterate it in some places? Why, does the, why doesn't the Great Commission say, go into all the world, make disciples, washing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which would be kind of weird. How, how do you do that? Why didn't they translate it like that? To find out how that word took on religious meaning, we have to look at history, okay? Pastor, I'm certainly not opposed to looking at history, but do we really have to look at history in the sense that when you've got somebody like St. Peter who says, baptism now saves you, when you have Paul who talks about the washing of regeneration, when Peter as well says something about this is not a washing for removal of dirt from the body, but for a clean conscience before God? I mean, why do we have to go 
elsewhere to make it look like history then imposed baptism as being a religious word as opposed to just sticking with what the text says about it. Right. And he's acting like the difference is that when we baptize, when we use baptism as wash, we translate it as wash, or when we transliterate it as baptism, that it's almost arbitrary. And it's obviously not true. When we use baptism and we transliterate it over, it's, it's clearly to denote it as the special washing that Jesus commanded and connected a promise to. And that's why they transliterate it so you're not confused. Oh, I'm swimming in the pool. Am I being baptized? No, there's a special context that this happens in. It's done in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that word baptism has now been connected to that. I mean, that's why it has religious significance. You don't have to look at history at all. You just have to read your Bible with just the tiniest bit of understanding to say, oh, well, when they use baptism, they're talking about this special washing that Jesus gave us. And it's interesting that he thinks that that's not there, but he has uh, conveniently kind of skipped over the, the thrown a rock and kind of skipped it over the water, as it were, to, to avoid de- delving into the word to confront this. You know, if I had the opportunity to speak to a group of people, I don't think I would talk about the beauties and the meaning of baptism by looking at the etymology of the words. You've already mentioned that if you did, it would just be just a passing type of inference to its meaning originally or what have you. But I would go back to the new creation being made in Genesis with the Word and the water and the Spirit. I would move from there. I would talk about the flood, and I would talk about that uh, deluge and how it brought judgment, but yet it brought salvation for eight souls. I would look at Naaman with his leprosy and how he is told to go and bathe in the dirty Jordan River and how there was, as you said, a promise attached to that water, even though he said, man, there's cleaner rivers back home. He's probably speaking the truth. Why would I want to get in this nasty water? Well, because the promise is attached to that water and not to the clean water back home. I mean, you, there's so many places that you could go to to really open the mind, so to speak. I hate to say it like that, but, uh, but to really allow one to see how the importance and the emphasis of baptism has been in our Bibles long before Jesus says, go ye therefore into all the world. That's when it like all finally comes together. Yeah, well, I think one of the best places to go to understand this is Luther's baptismal prayer. It's in our hymnal, it's in our liturgy, uh, where he talks about, of course, the flood uh, and how it both kills and makes alive. He talks about uh, the uh, crossing of the Red Sea, which both delivers and kills exactly and and so you're you're seeing these patterns and he's you know luther's connecting the dots in this prayer and right and he's doing it very biblically i think this is one of the most interesting things i'm seeing with him so far as he said i want to talk about the bible and i want to talk about history the only really biblical text he's given us so far is the great commission right that command is fundamental and important. It's a part, it's a very basic part of our understanding. But again, when he's skipping over things like Romans 6, um, he, he he makes it sound like we can all agree on this one verse and then it all goes into the weeds. And now he's just making it sound like we all just have different pious opinions based on history. And I, I just want to say, brother, come, I, here's the Bible. Let's, let's, let's uh, look at God's word on this matter and come together on this. You know, that's, that's the challenging 
place in this is I, I don't feel like I'm grounded in history at all. I feel like I'm grounded in scripture and, and, he, and he's not wrestling with the biblical text and scripture. And one of the things that uh, early on for me when I was coming out of my sacramentarian days and really seeing what the sacraments are, I did. It wasn't the driving force, but boy, it surely was a, um, uh, a great deal of emphasis was placed upon this. But when I was able to look at what the early church fathers said about baptism, because what they say about baptism, man, it's certainly not what this guy is saying, and nor is it what he's going to say. So when he said, let's go to history, I thought, okay, let's, let's, let's look at history. But I think you're going to be, again, uh, disappointed in what history he turns to. Yeah. Long, long, long time before Jesus, Old Testament period and during the intertestamental period, Gentiles would visit Jerusalem or, or Israel, and they would be captivated by the Jewish way of living, especially that, that this idea of this monotheistic God, that they only had one God. That was new. That was very unique in that time of history. Um, so they appreciated Jewish beliefs and culture so much that they, some of them wanted to become Jewish themselves, and they would go to Jewish leaders, and they would say, okay, how, how, do, we, how do I become Jewish? I know I wasn't born one, but how do I become Jewish? How do I convert to Judaism? And through the years, different Jewish leaders came up with a system and a process that Gentiles, like you and me, could go through to become Jewish. And there are different lists. Um, there's different um, people from different multiple sources um, that come up with these lists. But when you put them all together, there's a basic list of things you had to do in order to become Jewish. And here's that list. Um, men, uh, you had to have a little surgery at first, okay? Which is why most of the converts to Judaism were women. I don't know that for a fact. I just think that because I'm a man, Okay. And, and you guys know what circumcision is. It's the process. Oh, yeah, you know. Okay. Um, second thing, you would have a covenant meal like Passover or something like Passover. Um, the next thing, you would have to acknowledge the Old Testament law. Basically, you would have to surrender yourself to the law of Moses and pledge to live under its authority for the rest of his life. You were pledging to live differently. Um, you also had to make a sacrifice, which was a big part of the worship um, process and system um, for Jews. And then you'd have to take part in a ceremonial washing. Now, interesting thing. The ceremonial washing was done alone. You did it by yourself. Nobody did it for you. It was, it was a way of saying or, or cleansing yourself of your Gentileness of your old way of living, of, of your sin. And as you become new, you're identifying yourself with the God of the Jews. And again, no one did this for you. You did it by yourself at home, behind closed doors. And in parts of the world where the converts were predominantly Greek-speaking, the term they would use for ceremonial washing was, you guessed it, baptizo. Baptizo. So first century Jewish culture understood this idea of ceremonial washing. And he's talking about mikvahs, right? Well, I don't know what he's talking about. Well, somehow or another, he's talking about first century converts to Judaism. Yeah. Don't we have written testimony from first century converts that he could quote? Well, you would think something. I mean, I'm just trying to think through this biblically. So I'm thinking about Jewish converts like Ruth. None of the stuff he said applies to her. And, and some of it's very odd. Like, you'd be required to make a sacrifice 
well, no, making sacrifices was part of being Jewish. That's such an odd thing to say. Like you, you, your conversion process was doing something deeply Jewish. Your, your conversion process was taking part in the Passover meal, which was in itself part of being Jewish. That's not an initiation, right? That's simply your life lived in the faith. And so it, it, I feel like there's some confusion in what he's saying there. And, and again, it's hard to, to push off against it because there's not, there's not a lot to, there's no reference for, for me to ground that in. I'm just saying walking through it biblically. And the one example we have of first century baptism with John the Baptist it wasn't a private act at all. Well, that's going to be his argument, that it went from this private act, which I'm not even sure of personally. I'm not saying he's wrong, but I've never heard anything like that. Yeah. So he's going to make the argument that it's going to move from, remember, he started out by saying, how did this become a religious yeah. practice? He set up the ancient practice that took place privately then he's going to make the jump to John the Baptist okay. that it was public but didn't he didn't he ground this act in the first century with first century Jews he at least referenced that and so I guess that my point is John the Baptist was a first century Jew and he was doing it publicly you can't say that it transitioned when he was saying that it, ha- it was happening when the transition had already happened do you understand what I'm getting at? Yeah, yeah, well, it points to the confusion that well, you mentioned. Yeah, it's it, it, this just seems like a very muddled argument. And, of course, it's this appeal to history, but it is actually kind of a hidden appeal to Scripture, too. And he, but he's like, I don't want you to have to look at your Bible when it comes to this because your Bible's not going to say this. Uh, I, I know I'm, I'm a smart person, and I know about uh, Jewish initiation rites. And, again, it, he, he even has to acknowledge, like, I'm— picking the one that best suits my story because they change over time. Well, then on top of that, this is the thing that that blows me away. He starts the argument by saying how everybody else has got baptism so confused. Yeah. And what is he doing? He's confusing everybody. Yeah. This is a deeply confusing argument that he's making, and I don't don't even understand the point of it, except to make baptism not a big deal. That is the point. Which, again— you want everybody to be baptized, but you don't want it to be a big deal. And maybe that's why it's okay. Mm. Everybody get baptized because it's not that big a deal. What a, what a sad final argument to make. It had been a part of their culture for, for years, for decades, for, for centuries. Um, there were actually sec- several kinds of, of, of different washings that the word baptizo was used. But, but basically, it was a secular Greek word used to describe a special ceremony, specifically as it related to becoming Jewish. And with All of that as the backdrop. So many of you already know this story. About 30 AD, something really significant happened. A wild-eyed, crazy man who smelled like my laundry when I got home from Africa this week, okay? Out in the desert, in the Jordan River, just this crazy-looking guy started preaching this message. Repent. Come back next week for part two. Repent. Okay, we got that. You got anything else? Yeah. Repent. That was his message over and over and over again. His first name was John. Yeah, John. And here's what John's message was. His message was God is about to do something new. God is about to do something he's never, ever done before. And if you don't get right with God, you're going to miss him. So repent. Turn change your thinking, change the way you live, because if you miss him, you're going to miss him. And I know just because you're Jewish, that doesn't do it. If you miss him, you're going to miss him. It's deep, brother. It's deep. I also, I like the humble brag. 
Did I mention that I just got back from Africa? I, I'm being ungenerous. So going back to what, what he's saying here, though, he's paraphrasing John the Baptist's message. John was a, a herald of righteousness. He was one who was talking about how judgment is coming. He wasn't talking about get on the uh, the God train. Well, his core message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, which is the exact same message that Jesus preached, which is the exact same message Peter preached, which is the exact same message the church throughout all time in history has preached. It's the message of the church. Sure, but how do you get into the kingdom? Right. Repent and be baptized. Right. <laughs> I mean, and, and right, isn't that what, I mean, that's what Peter says? Right. Well, I, I, we, we done messed up. What do we do? Repent and be baptized. What does the church say? Repent and be baptized. And of course, he's again making it like something really special is about to happen. Now, yes, the incarnation of Christ is special, but the coming of the kingdom comes with him, but it stays here in his church in baptism, in the Lord's Supper, in the means of grace. That's, that's how the kingdom comes to us. Of course, he wants to diminish all of that. It's all about me cognitively recognizing, oh man, God's doing something big. I better figure that out. Well, no. And, and I just read the Gospels. He's, he's got these disciples and they're constantly, it's constantly flying over their head. And then you have somebody like blind Bartimaeus coming along in Mark who's, who can't see, but he sees, right? right? And you have these interesting little turnabouts because the disciples are the ones who should see, sure. but can't. Right. And so they're not getting it. They're not repenting like they should. It's, and so what we're learning through the Gospels is that it's not something special I do. It's God turning me. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus with the disciples going, guys, you don't want to be at my right and my left when I come into my kingdom because that's the cross. And it, it takes Pentecost. It takes the Holy Spirit dwelling in that special way for them to be able to see it and proclaim it with boldness. And, and so he's completely missing the boat as far as it comes to what what is God about when it comes to repentance and his kingdom coming to us. It's all God's work. Mm. It's so frustrating that we, we we're constantly tempted to make it about us. Just because you make sacrifices at the temple, that doesn't do it. This is a matter of the heart. So repent for the kingdom of heaven is near and then he did the strangest thing. He went down to the Jordan River. And he said, if you're ready to repent, I want you to come down into the water with me. And we don't know exactly what it looked like. We don't know exactly what he did. But it's, it looked like some kind of ceremonial washing. Because when the writers of the New Testament went to describe what John was doing, they used the word baptizo. The ceremonial washing. They understood. He's not washing off their dirt. He's associating the, 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 this washing with his message. Just like a Gentile is converting to Judaism and just like they would become Jew through a ceremonial washing, these people are becoming something different through this washing. They're, they're associating themselves with something different than they were before. And eventually, John got a nickname, right? John the Baptist. Yeah, because they, this, you, you always did this yourself. No one had ever seen this before. You didn't have somebody else baptizo you. And, and, and they didn't really know what to call it, so John became John the washer. John the dipper, John the scrubber, John the sprinkler, John the immerser, whatever. And people would line up for John to baptize them. Why? Why? Because they were identifying with John's teaching. They were saying, I believe what John is saying is true. 
And I'm going public with the fact that what I believe he is saying is true. It's not enough for me to stand on the riverbank and say, amen, John, I'm with you. That's right. John said, no, 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 no. I want the people in your village, want the people in your community to know that you're agreeing with what I'm teaching. So come out in the water and make it public. Okay, so we just closed the loop right there. You saw how he did that? Mm-hmm that the people who were on the side of the banks of the Jordan and saw John do this, that they were being baptized because they were now in agreement with what John was saying. There's no text that tells us this. No. In fact, I'm looking at Luke 3 right now, and uh, the crowd says in Luke 3.10, well, what then shall we do? And he doesn't say, well, come and be baptized. And agree with what I'm saying. Yeah. He, he actually gives them some very basic instruction. Share what you have. If you have two tun- tunics, give it away. Tax collectors, hey, don't rip people off. Soldiers, don't extort money and use threats and false accusations, these kind of things. He's saying, look, now that you've been baptized, see, uh, now that you've been brought into this kingdom, it makes a difference in how you live your life. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Yes, but... He's putting, the, he's putting the cart before the horse. That's exactly what he's doing. Yeah. But he's doing that to fool all of these people that he's speaking to right now. Yes. It's a horrible lie that he is giving to them, and there's no biblical text to support it. He's just taking a Sunday school picture of baptism, and he's filling in gaps, and he's filling them in incorrectly. And these people, I think, don't know their Bible well enough to just dive into it because he's not pointing them to a specific text to follow along where you could say, well, wait a minute, Pastor. That's not what's happening here. But they are a smart bunch, right? Because they do go to church there. Yeah, let's 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 always listen to the to the flatterers. I think that's in the Bible. They're they're the ones that will always be trustworthy. And one day, one day John was baptizoing people, and he looked up on the river. I just I just if there was any moment in history that I could go back and be a part of and watch, this would be the moment. He's in the Jordan River, and he says, Behold, and everybody went, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And John says, Guys, you you remember the one that I've been talking about? The the one that I've said is is before me, but he's coming after me, and he isn't here yet, but he's going to get here. But just because he's just getting here doesn't mean he's not before me. You guys get all that, right? Sure, John. Next point, right? Okay, guys, this this is the one. And Jesus came down into the water and says, John, I need you to baptize. I need you to baptizo me. I need you to wash me. And no wonder John said, are you kidding me? I'm going to wash you? Shouldn't you be washing me? If there's a sinner in this relationship, it's me. I'm not even worthy to wear your sandals, much less baptize you. And Jesus said, no, 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 it's necessary that you baptizo me. Why? Why was it necessary? Because here's what Jesus knew. As people watched John baptize Jesus, Jesus was confirming and affirming the message of John the Baptist. Yeah, man. Didn't you know that? Didn't you know that Jesus was confirming the message of John the Baptist when John the Baptist baptized him? That's clearly why heavens opened up. Yes. And the dove descended upon him. Right. Hey, everybody, (laughs) what John the Baptist is saying is A-OK with me. Right. 
that nothing more significant than that could possibly be going on here. My word, that is that is uh, it's a very sad interpretation. If if that's the best you can say about what is happening here. Well, okay, so here's the problem, and, and you know what the problem is, and and so do our listeners because they're so smart because they they listen to the Pluck Chicken podcast. Smartest listeners. Smartest listeners. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is. He's already started the presupposition game saying baptism doesn't do anything for you. It is a public demonstration of a private commitment. So now we have to build this superstructure to get us over here. The point that you've been making all along is we're not even building this on God's Word or correct interpretations of God's Word. Well, yeah. I mean, if all he can use is the Great Commission to understand baptism, you you can go off into the weeds completely. It's when you actually start getting into these texts and looking at what they have to say on the matter uh, that's important. Uh, And, you know, kind of getting directly at what he's talking about. I love the text in Matthew because this is where John says, I need to be baptized to you and do you come to me? And that that's a actually a really good question that John asks. And it's a question that all of us kind of have. Like, whoa, what is Jesus doing submitting to this man? And Jesus says something startling. Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And in that text, you can see that he is opening the door for that human participation in God's act. Baptism is God working, but he's working through a human agent to make it happen. The pastor baptizes in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not the pastor doing anything special. It's the pastor acting as this agent and bringing that promise of God into the present reality of that particular baptism. And isn't that exactly what we see here with Jesus and John? And so that's a great, that's a great comfort it's a great blessing, and he's stripped it, stripped this of all of that because he, again, he, he kind of glided over the text, uh, gave a real brief point, but the point he wanted to make wasn't found in the text, so then he diverts. And you see that happen so often that, like, I'm going to give you just a little scripture, but now I'm going to put my own little twist on it. And you're exactly right, but what bothers me is that he's going to turn around and say that we are a bunch of Bible believers. They say they believe in the Bible, but yet they don't believe what God's Word says about baptism, Lord's Supper. Well, and and it it goes even beyond that. And this is a drum I've been beating in my church a lot in Bible study, is that I don't don't want you to know about Jesus, because the Jesus we know about is going to always be a bit more comfortable than the Jesus we actually encounter in Scripture. Um, We have to encounter Jesus in the Word, because that Jesus is, there's always going to be something a little bit off, very challenging. He's not always just going to fit into a perfect little box for us. What we're very comfortable with is that Sunday school caricature, and that caricature isn't always a bad thing. It's a, it's a nice outline, but you need to be in the Word to fill in the outline and to have an accurate picture, because what happens if, if you just have the Sunday school picture some guy like this is going to come along and he's going to start filling it in, but he's not going to fill it in accurately. He's going to put the wrong colors in the wrong place. He's going to put lines where there shouldn't be lines. He's not going to put in lines where there should be lines, those kind of things. And I don't want to overstretch this analogy, but we have to be encountering who Jesus is in his words so that we can have a full and robust picture because Jesus is a, 
he's so interesting <laughs> because he's always doing stuff where you're like, why, why are you doing that? What, what's going on? He raises so many questions with his, with his ministry. And this guy's just like hand waving it all the way to make it fit very neatly into uh, a teaching that he is already, this is what he wants to have the outcome be. And so it's going to be that. That's right. He was affirming that what John is saying is true, that I am the Messiah, that I am the one he's been talking about that's coming. I'm it. I'm him. Jesus was affirming John's message. So John, just think about this. The sinner (laughs) baptizes Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, who came to take away the sin of the world. What a moment. And the people that were standing on the bank had no idea the significance of what was taking place that day. Had no idea. But then something even stranger happened. Then Jesus and his disciples, they began baptizoing people. And um, they, they began washing other people. And apparently Jesus never baptized anyone, but his disciples would. They would associate themselves with the message and the person of Jesus. And they would get into the water. They would align themselves publicly with those things. And that's how baptism was, was launched, as a religious ritual. John was the first baptizer in reference to the coming ministry of Jesus. Jesus and his original followers continued it. And right before Jesus left the earth, he said, okay, guys, if you miss everything else, if you don't remember anything else, remember this. Get out of here. Go and make disciples. And when people associate themselves with me, when they decide to live my way of living, I want you to baptize them. I want them to make it public that they're associating themselves with me. So, Pastor Oakry, is that what baptism is? No. And I think for that argument to make sense, Jesus would have had to baptize the disciples. Because if, if baptism is a public declaration of your association with Jesus— then that seems like a fundamental piece to make that argument. And that clearly never happens. Jesus is perfectly happy to let John's baptism stand. He's perfectly happy to let the disciples baptize, but he himself does not. And again, he's at this place where he he can only say, well, baptism is a nice outward sign of your commitment, and that's why you should do it. But he really can't finally say that it's fundamental to show it. Um, And Similarly with the disciples, didn't they show their association and and connection to Jesus enough by simply being his disciples and being known to be his compatriots in in every way? Leaving everything behind and following him. Right. And so, you know, I guess the similar argument we could make today is, I mean, I go to church on Sunday. That's enough of an outward sign to the world that I'm a Christian. Please. Um, Now, granted, there is this command. I get it. But all he can say is that that command is is completely about me and my outward commitment. And he's leaving an awful lot up to me as to the importance of that. Well, one of the other things that Pastor Bruss and I talk about is the directionality. You can start to see now how he's painting this picture. You were talking about painting pictures earlier, how he's painting this picture. The directionality now is the individual towards God, as opposed to what you and I believe, which baptism truly is, which is the directionality is God to us. This is his gift to us. It's his distributing that which was won on the cross. It's coming from God to us as a gift, and we receive it with empty hands of faith. His point is now to show that that I've made this commitment, this is the directionality from me to the divine. Right. And so 
who's crossing the gap in his structure it's always going to be him uh, jesus has done it but he's kind of standing there far away saying okay now show me that you really want this right. somehow some way what, what a sad way to view salvation what a sad way to view our savior um, that he's done it but somehow in this regard he is he is helpless and he is held he is held captive by your own commitment level that is not God. That is not the. That is not our Savior. That is not Christ at all. Christ does it all for us. Uh, it is finished on the cross, and that that completion is delivered to us in baptism, uh, of course, along with the Word and 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 the sacrament of the altar. And and what a joy it is to simply receive that truth. So to sum this up, real quick, three quick statements. Number one, baptism is a public declaration of a new association. It's a public declaration of a new association. I'm going public with my faith. I'm publicly, not just privately, associating myself with the message and person of Jesus, just like Jesus associated himself publicly with the message of John the Baptist. Ergo, just one thing. I love it. You always have to break it down into three points. Sure, right? sure. And, and, and it's, it's a little sad that he did have some alliteration or rhyme to tie it all together. I'm... I'm my heart goes out to him because I know that he was hoping for that. Well, he just journey. got back from Africa. Well, that's true. He only had so much time. Uh, I will counter that with, uh, with this argument. Uh, baptism is the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. And see, he can't go there. He can't touch that. That's too hot. And so he has to keep it in this nice little vague space. It's about Scripture, but we're not actually wrestling with scripture second baptism is a personal declaration of a new association it's not just uh, public it's personal in the new testament the, the people who were baptized were people who decided on their own to be baptized this is why we don't baptize infants it's why we don't baptize kids who don't quite understand what they're doing. It's not something somebody else can decide for you. It's just like salvation. You have to make the decision for yourself. It's a personal decision that you have to make on your own. All right, you see it very clearly there. If this is not a gift, if this is not something that God does, if this is a law that one has to perform once they come to the realization of what it means, then we have to fence the baptismal font. God does not give his gifts out to infants. He does not give his gifts out to those who might have uh, severe Down syndrome, who might you know, not, not understand. This is a really stingy type of God here. Yeah, and I think you going to the end of life helps bring the point home. Because how do you hold on to this personal decision when you're in the grips of Alzheimer's, when you're in a coma, um, when you're dying and you're not conscious. Or conscious. despair or depression. Right. If, if I'm the one choosing, if I'm the one holding on to God, if it's my will m finishing the connection, well, my will is feeble and fragile. And it seems okay to talk about these things when I'm sitting in church on a Sunday and my will seems to be engaging with it. But I, I think about all the times during the week when I haven't even actively thought about God as a presence in my life and, and, and how sad that is. And, and if God wasn't the one coming to me and bringing me his gifts, if his Holy Spirit wasn't the one bringing me faith and keeping me in Christ, 
what hope would I have? And Lord, help me if I happen to die in one of those moments where I wasn't willfully deciding in, for Christ. This is, this is the sad place where this drives us. And, and of course, it, part of what comes with this is this need to prove ourselves. Oh, no, I, I really have decided. I'm not this uh, loaf about. I'm, I'm going to prove uh, to you when really I'm trying to prove to myself that this has taken hold. Well, you see this directionality again. Now yeah. it's it's really you, as you're saying, you're white-knuckling it. You're the one mustering up the surrender, the fortitude, whatever the case might be, to prop up your own self. Yeah, I, I mean, to prop up your own feebleness because you know your own mind and you can talk the talk, but you know you're not walking the walk. And we all have this. Uh, sometimes we have it more acutely than others, but we have it. Uh, that's actually one of the joys of being a pastor and just dealing with people is you you find out that uh, the dark night of the soul belongs to all of us and we all feel unworthy because we are (laughs) that's that's the truth Um, that's that's the Lutheran that's the Lutheran starting point is our complete unworthiness and so where do we put the bit where do we put all the 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 blessing we don't put it in ourselves because we're unworthy we can't manage it we put it on God because he can. Thank, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for doing what I could not. You know, evangelicals will talk that way, but when it comes to it, they really can't live that way because it's not something that has become ingrained in them. Living under the means of grace and letting God serve us through those means, um, it's, it's, it's deeply humbling because I don't control it. <laughs> and you can, of course, control you can control your decision. You can control, uh, and and yet, so who remains? Who remains the king of your heart? You do, uh, yeah. And who needs to be the king? Christ does. Uh, it's His kingdom, mm. not mine. Mm. And I want to say one other thing here because He's just flat out wrong about how decision, how people came to faith in the New Testament. I think the the Philippian jailer is the best example. He comes to faith, and who is baptized? Not just the Philippian jailer who had this in- intimate encounter. But his entire household, um, and I'm sure some of his household, were, I mean, he just comes to him and says, okay, we're Christian now. Okay. <laughs> and what happens? They're all baptized. And it's, it's done collectively. And that's a big household. That, that would be household servants. That would be some, uh, any kind of patrons he might have had, any, anything along those lines. And certainly it would involve any children. And so, again, he's taken this one picture of John the Baptist on the banks to, to kind of blanket over everything, and that's just not true. What about when St. Paul, after he is struck blind, Ananias comes to him and says that he needs to get up and be baptized so that he can have his sins washed away? Right. That's putting the cart before the horse as far as he's concerned. Is I mean, was what was St. Paul when he got baptized? What, what teaching was he associating with? Jesus' teaching? No. He, he was being brought into the faith through baptism. This was a, a Jew, right? I mean, yeah. this is a, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Yeah. But, of course, in this formula that we're being presented with, where, where's the forgiveness of sins in any of this? Oh, no. Right, right. And, right. and, and in fact, I mean, I, I don't think the forgiveness of sins has been mentioned once. No, exactly. And, and it, that goes a long way toward telling you where we're at. It's, it's about he's trying to work up this crowd to an act of obedience, um, and, and obedience here will lead to obedience in other places. When I talk about baptism, when we talk about baptism, we're always going to be talking about the forgiveness of sins. We're going to be like, you are forgiven, and, and how liberating that is, that you've been made holy, you've been given life. 
all those things. Well, even more than that, I mean, it's a daily remembrance of your baptism when you wake up and make the sign of the cross. I mean, yeah. something took place there that was not an act of your will. Right. And that's a really good point is, you know, we wake up in remembrance and, and the morning and evening prayer are made in the context of our baptism. And I, and I encountered this recently, and I think it's, a, it's actually a really good point. Um, oh, I know John Warwick Montgomery, and I'm sure he's not the only one who said it, is that uh, we're, Christians are only ever one day old because every day is a new day. We are forgiven, and I, that's a beautiful point. But also, too, in the morning, when we pray the, Lord, when we pray the morning prayer, we take up our baptism as a challenge. I'm going to live this life that I have been brought into in my baptism. And then in the evening, our baptism is our comfort. And we come back to the Lord and we say, okay, <laughs> that didn't go as well as it could have. <laughs> um, and I, I, I done messed up, Lord. Uh, uh, but now our baptism is this place where he's like, yeah, no, you're, my forgiveness is bigger than that. And, and, and live in that. And what do we do? We get to start the next day new. How much better picture of that is that of our life in Christ than this obedience stuff? It's just, I, it makes me so sad because these are, these are well-intentioned people. These are, these are Christians who are beating themselves silly and they don't have to. And then the third thing, last one, baptism is not a condition of salvation. It's evidence of salvation. It's not a condition of salvation. It's evidence of salvation. One quick um, example of that. Um, you remember when Jesus is on the cross and there's two criminals beside him. I mean, these were guys that were really good for nothing, according to Rome. You know where he's going, huh? Oh, man, that thief on the cross. <laughs> that he dog. Get, he gets used and abused for so many things. We, we, we put so much background on him. Right. So many assumptions on him. Right. To, to prove our points. That you don't need to be baptized. Right. Because this one guy, perhaps in a very special way, was redeemed. But who's to say that he hadn't been baptized? Do, do we know that? No. We don't know that. He could, have ex he could have been baptized by John. He could have been baptized by the disciples. Sure. The, the scripture doesn't care to tell us. Let's not maybe use this one admittedly limited example to determine our whole approach to what baptism is. Well, this goes to the issue of hermeneutics, right? When we talk about how clearer passages govern unclear passages— and not that the thief on the cross is an unclear passage. It's very clear. But then when we're trying to make make it walk on all fours here, you know, as we're trying to use this as baptismal doctrine. That's exactly right. Any more than we go to Lazarus as to, to generate our understanding of the resurrection of the dead. And that's a special case. God is, Jesus is doing something special there. Uh, but but obviously that's not that's not our expectation when we die that, four days later or whatever, Jesus is going to come and, and literally pull us out of the tomb. Our picture is bigger than that. It's based on the teaching of all of Scripture. Right. Jesus, for the thief on the cross, is no doubt going to do something very special for this man. Yeah. And my argument is, if you're hanging on a cross beside Jesus, and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise without having been baptized, you're in. The problem is, that doesn't happen, nor has it happened to any other person on the planet since then. Right. Or at least, I mean, that we know of. Uh, and But, right, we're going to base it on what we know in Scripture. And, and this is the sad truth to me, is 
So many Christians are hanging their hat on something special outside of Scripture. So we're getting a little bit away from baptism, but this is so fundamental. We want God to come to us in the burning bush. We want God to be the small, still voice. We want God to have the tongues of flame on Pentecost. And we're trying to turn very special and unique situations that are obviously unique and special in all of Scripture and we want to make them about us Why? Well, because we're sinners. And, that's and our, theologians that, of glory. And we're theologians of glory. And I see people sitting around there like, and I've talked, to, I've talked to believing members in my own congregations that have been like, I just wish God would talk to me like he did to uh, Isaiah or something along those lines. And but when you're standing before this person, even you know, at church or what have you, and you are God's representative on earth. You are Christ's voice for that person. Somehow or another, that doesn't count. No. And and I get it. I mean, I'm not as impressive as a burning bush or a, or a talking donkey. But that's how God has promised to come to these people. See, yes. and I, to make your point, uh, really to interrupt you here, is to say that we don't want God the way that he promises to come to us. We still want him our way. Yeah, we want him to appear to us as an angel and announce that we are the most highly favored lady or or guy, hopefully for me. And and that's what makes it real. Scripture isn't good enough. Baptism isn't good enough. The Lord's Supper isn't good because it's, it's just water. It's so mundane. It's just bread and wine. I mean, and, and it's a miracle. And every time we see it, I've, I've told this, I said, we should be relieving church every Sunday and being like, Jesus came to me today and forgave my sins. Whoa. Like we have a gas station across the street from Kevin. I was like, you need to be running over there and grabbing those people at the pub and being like, a miracle just happened to me today. Sure. Jesus came to me in the bread and the wine. Right. And, and we just kind of like, well, you know, that's nice. <laughs> And, and it, it's, it's a shame that we struggle to see it. But again, it's not about me. I, I do struggle to see it. I'm a sinner. Uh, but God is still working through it despite myself. Well, true. And this is where you and I are supposed to be catechized in this way. When we are not viewing what is taking place, say, for instance, at church, like you were just saying, we're not supposed to be looking at it with our eyes. We're supposed to be evaluating it with our ears. Yep. And we don't do that. No. I mean, the Bible tells us that you've got this whole host of angels that are gathered round in festal gatherings in Hebrews chapter 12 when it comes to our services. But we're looking around going, man, it's pretty pretty thin today, thin crowd. Must be that uh, lost an hour. That's why everybody, oh, it, oh it's probably raining. That's That's why it's low attendance. Or it's sunny. Yeah, right. I, there, there's no there's I mean, everybody has their excuses. I, I always say there's no good church going weather. No one wakes up on the Sunday and says it's perfect. This is perfect. <laughs> for going to church. Let's well, honey. I wasn't going to go to church today, but pack up the kids. Seems like a fine day for church. <laughs> All right. Let's let this guy spin this thing out. I mean, they, 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 they were not good enough to row in the galley of a Roman ship. They weren't good enough to be somebody's servant. They, they just said these guys are no good. They just we just need to kill them. And the two guys have a completely different reaction to Jesus that day, right? One of them looks at Jesus and he, he, he says, I, I'm in. I believe you're the son of God. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, where I'm going, you're going. 
today, you're going where I'm going. I mean, come on, think about this. What is the point of rededicating your life when you're on the cross? <laughs> What's the point of saying, from now on, Jesus, I'm yours? you got like three hours to live, and you're not going anywhere, right? Well, I need to be a better husband. What? You're getting ready to die. What's the point? But Jesus looks at him. No, I mean, Jesus didn't seem to have a problem with what this guy was saying, with what this guy had done in his heart. And Jesus says today, you're going where I'm going. And Jesus didn't seem to have much of a problem with him not being baptized. Why? Why? Because baptism is not a condition of salvation. It's evidence of salvation. Bouncing this into history again, the early church recognized this. And, and it, it kind of goes back to what I said earlier. Baptism is necessary, but isn't absolutely necessary uh, in this way that we should be desiring it. But if we can't uh, get there in, in our desiring of it, it doesn't damn us. Um, the early church, they, they recognized. They, they would have these catechumens, these people being instructed in the faith. Uh, they were adults, and so they were expecting them to go through a, a learning process before they baptized them. Sometimes that process, uh, and I think the typical time, was three years. And so three years they're in there, and this is during uh, times of persecution. And the, the Roman government didn't make a huge distinction between whether you were an active member or a, or a catechumen. And so some of these people would get gathered up, and they would be killed. And what did the early church say? It said they were baptized by blood, sure. By their by their own sac sacrifice, uh, their own death, their own martyrdom. Yeah, the they, blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Yeah, and so and so yeah. So here they are, and and the early church is recognizing this, but they're also holding up baptism as as more than just a signifier. Sure. And and so he's just completely off base here in his understanding. And of course, this this is this limited history where he grounds us in just this really small understanding of Jewish initiation rites. I would have loved to have heard what he had to say more about the early church and their process of baptism, but we don't seem to get into that. So here's the bottom line. If you're a Christian, you've never been baptized. You need to get baptized. This is, this is just a point of obedience. It's a point of obedience for me as, as a leader in the church, as somebody who's been commanded to make disciples, and it's a point of obedience for you as you follow Jesus, your next step, that one thing you need to do as you're growing in your relationship with Jesus. Pastor Oakry, this man has got a quota to meet. I, that's what I was thinking is um, if, if everyone there just kind of shrugs and says, yeah, I mean, that's nice. I mean, like, I mean, the ones that have been baptized have been baptized. The ones who haven't been baptized, they might be like, I'm not convinced. Is he going to resign? Right. What's well, a big deal to him? I have an obligation as your leader, whatever that means, you know, not your pastor, not, not any of that kind of context, as your leader. To get you baptized because Jesus says I need to baptize you so and and maybe that's why he needs to make it not a big deal because he's just like look I got some I got some quotas to fill don't worry we're just get, we don't you don't even have to immerse I'll just get you a little wet and you can go about your day and I can be okay you'll be okay and and God will God will give us a little golf clap and say oh well done good and faithful sir you you, you showed me how obedient you are by being baptized and what's so funny is he knows, like, the, um, just the empty doing of something. He said that about the offerings. He, he knows that's true. You can't, you can't do the offerings in an empty way. It's about the heart. And now he's, but now he's saying, well, show your obedience and just do it because pastor wants him to do it to fill his quota. 
but and I also love too, right? This is the next big step in your relationship. Oh, yeah. Like like it's like the promise ring. Oh or sure. Something. Yeah. Like Jesus, I really I do you like me like me? I like you like you. Then let's move to the next step. Yeah. For us, um, as a church, we're not really hung up on the form as much as we are on the timing. If you were 14, 15, or you know, 20 or, or 22 and you were going to a Presbyterian church and they sprinkled you, but they didn't immerse you, um, I don't think you need to be rebaptized. If you were standing before that group of people publicly that day and saying, I'm associating myself with the message and person of Jesus, I think you're good. I think you're good. It's not form that's important to us. It's timing. We immerse. Um, sometimes we pour. I've never really sprinkled anybody because it kind of sounds boring. But we're okay with that. I don't, anything to do with water, right? We're good. If you look at church history, there have been all kinds of ways people have, have been baptized. There have been times and places where, where there was almost no water or, or where there was no water at all. So they had to use other forms. They had to use other things to do that. In some parts of the world, during certain seasons, it was dangerous to baptize people because they would get wet and they wouldn't be able to warm up again and they'd die because they got sick. Did you know that? Baptismal hypothermia. I did not know that that was a thing. I've never heard of that ever. Is that like, where, where is that happening? Is it like... It was the, in the past. He with, knew somebody. With the Inuits or something? It's the same guy that uh, baptized those pickles. My goodness. So again, it's not necessarily, we're not really hung up on the form, but we are hung up on the timing because we believe a person who's following Jesus should take the next step and go public with their faith by being baptized. The other thing, um, the other thing I want to talk about that's specific to our church and something that people get hung up on when it comes to how we do baptism, because if you want to get baptized, you have to do this in our church. So I just want you to know, everybody's scared of the video. Okay, Everybody's scared of the video. If one of the reasons you don't want to get baptized is because you have to sit in front of a camera and tell your story, and my face is going to be this big on the screen. Okay, if, if, if you're scared, I just want you to know, you're not alone everybody's scared of the video. In fact, the people who aren't scared of the video scare us. <laughs> okay, if they're like, oh, I just can't wait to do this. It's gonna be so awesome. We, well, we got some issues we got to deal with before you do that. Okay, everybody's scared of the video. Okay, but seriously, if we wanted our baptism numbers higher, if we, there was some award out there for us to get more baptisms and, and I got a ribbon or I got a dollar for every person I baptize, which I don't, by the way, okay? If we wanted to win some award, we would get rid of the video. We would. But here's why we're not going to. Baptism is a public declaration. The, the, the rivers, the streams, the watering holes in the first century, these were the public places where people gathered and the, and the video, you telling your story of what God has done in your life and what he's doing, that's a public way to go public with your faith. And if you've ever been to a celebration Sunday or a baptism Sunday, we've called it different things in the past, but those video testimonies are some of the most powerful moments in the life of our church. They're some of the most powerful times because we can look at it and we can say, look, Jesus is still working He's still changing people. His spirit is still alive. 
And look at that. Yes, there it is again. So if you need to get baptized, please don't let the video scare you away. If you absolutely refuse to do the video, I'm sure there's another pastor, there's another church somewhere that will baptize you. You get a friend, you get friends and family together and do your own ceremony. I don't think those are great ideas, but I've heard of other people doing that. I'm not going to quibble with you over it. We're not going to be legalistic about it. But, but, but here's something else I want to say just to, just to throw out there. We're not going to be legalistic about this public act of obedience that you must do. And you must do the video. Right. I mean, we're, he's talked more about the video. But we're not, we're not going to be legalistic no, about it. No, of course not. At all. But everybody has to do it. Now, here's, now here's the thing. I, I like this, in, at least in the thinking. It makes sense to me and from their viewpoint. And I, I'm glad. I'm grateful that they're having these people kind of give expression to this commitment that they're making. It reminds me of like the rite of confirmation. Mm-hmm. So we have a public right of being brought into the church, which is really how he's viewing this. And so he's got a messed up view of baptism, but there, there is something similar in the church, which is confirmation. And, and that's how you become involved in the church. We do it publicly. What's very interesting is we don't let the people get up there and say what this means because they may not know fully what it means. They're being swept up in something much bigger than them. We all have been. There are days when I barely understand what it means that that Christ died for me and my sins are forgiven. And so to make it about my understanding of it, my testimony, oh, God's been doing big stuff in my life. Let me tell you how. That is necessarily going to be more shallow than the scriptural truth that's proclaimed in, say, the rite of confirmation. Oh, yeah, God, God snatched you out of death and given you life. Well, you know, I, I, I used to do bad things. And now I, I don't do the bad things so much anymore. I, I, used to, I used to swear like a sailor, but now Jesus is my life. And gosh darn, is about the worst thing I've ever said since then. And that was two weeks ago. Well, yes. I, I feel bad for saying it even right now. I was on a good, tra- I was on a good streak. <laughs> I guess this is my thing. We're, we're going we're gonna to major in the minors when we, when we give our testimony. Sure. And the rite of confirmation is going to point out the big truths. Um, you were dead and now you're alive. You were lost, and now you're found. Uh, you were blind, now you see. All of those, all of those uh, big biblical truths that are bigger than any testimony, and they don't require you to get up there and stand because Scripture tells us what's happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so why not, why not let God speak in that situation instead of relying on the person speaking? But again, it's that reversal. Who's, who's crossing the gap? When we do the rite of confirmation, God's crossing the gap to us. He's speaking to us from his word. He's telling us his promises. Here, they're just saying, oh, this is, this is what God means to me. Yeah, and the one I think about is the person that gets up there to share their testimony, and they say, I was baptized as a baby, but now I have made this decision to follow Christ myself, and so I want to be rebaptized. Yeah, and I, I fully acknowledge that that might feel more real to them in that moment, but that's because they're, they get to be in charge of that moment, and, and God doesn't get to be in charge then. That's I, right. I control it. That's and, right. And how much more wonderful is it that Christ is in charge, whether you're an adult or, a, or an infant? For, for most of you, when you do your video, when, when you get baptized and you record your video, you're going to share your story. You're going to st- share the story of what Jesus has done in your life in that three to five minute period with more people than you will in 10, 15, 20 years because of the size of our church. You'll share it with more people than you will in a decade for most of you. Don't 
rob us of that. Because every time I hear one of those stories, as much as I, I love Jesus, as much as I study the Bible, as, much, as long as I've been following Jesus, every time I hear one of those stories, it jacks up my faith. My faith is built through your stories every single time. Don't rob me. Don't rob us of what Jesus is doing and has done in your life. Where else do you have that kind of audience to testify to the greatness of Jesus? And why would you miss out on that? Because of a little bit of a fear. If you're listening today and you're going, yeah, that's me. (laughs) I've been thinking about this. Man, I wish I wouldn't have come to church today. (laughs) And you feel like to obey what Jesus said, you need to get baptized. We want to be a part of that process. We want to help you with that process. Um, And don't laugh, (laughs) but the first step in the process is to fill out the connection card. Super spiritual, I know, okay? But you fill out the connection card, and then on the other side of the connection card, there's a little circle beside, and it says, I want to go public with my faith by being baptized. You fill in that circle. Give us your information. And then as you leave, you can put that in the box, and, and the next step is for us to have a conversation. One of the pastors will call you and have a conversation because we want to answer your questions because you're coming, you might be coming from a different background than us and different theological leanings than us, and we want to have a conversation about that. We want to make sure you, or maybe if it's your, 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 your kid or your teenager who wants to be baptized, we want to make sure you understand the significance of what's going on. But the first step is to fill out that, that, that connection card and let us know. I'm ready to go public. I'm really ready to deal with that one thing in my life. Now, last thing. Last thing, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to load up on you a little bit, okay? And I know this isn't fair, but I'm still going to do it, okay? If, for those of you who are still worried about the video and, and what your face is going to look up on the screen and what are people going to think about your hair when you come out of the water and all that different kind of stuff, I understand that. We understand that. But, but, but listen, 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 listen. Listen, 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 listen. Wait, no, I, 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 I was just now figured out. Wait, is there a video involved in their baptisms there? Yeah, when somebody goes to be baptized, before Jane Doe is baptized, they're going to show her video about how she came to Christ and why she is being baptized the, so that the entire congregation can know. Then the video goes off, then Jane Doe is then baptized. This is the first I've heard of it. You've never heard of video testimonials? Not 27 times in this sermon. Oh. <laughs> he's really riding them, he, isn't he? He's, he's making a bigger deal about the video than the actual— Than baptism! Uh, there's water. Right. And the, and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit— no. Look, there's a video. Right. You guys need to know. Right. There's a video. And again, uh, as you said, not one time was there uh, inference about it forgiving your sins. I like testimonials. There's something nice about a person who was lost in their sin, and somehow somebody gave them a Bible, invited them to church, what have you. And through that, they came they came into faith. I, 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 I like that. Okay, I, I'm sure you do, but here's the problem. Yeah. The problem in the evangelical church is, is if you don't accept the sacraments that God has already given, you'll make up your own. So they have made up their own sacraments. You already heard him say, now one of the sacraments that they make up is, is music, right? Music yeah. is, a, is a big driver. You yeah. know this. 
Another sacrament that is within the evangelical church is the testimony. You sure. heard him say it. When I hear it, I get my faith jacked up. <laughs> like, well, and it's almost like steroids, right? But this is the problem with testimonials. So even though I like them and they they they, they do hit an emotional chord with me, don't sure. don't get me wrong. Sure. And so, but we need to put the, we need to put them in the right context. Exactly. And and the context isn't this is what makes my faith grow. Because guess what? A testimonial doesn't make your faith grow. He, he makes it sound like steroids, and that's about right. It's it's something that gives unhealthy growth, unsustainable growth. Because then what are you looking for? You're looking for your next hit, mm-hmm. your next testimonial, mm-hmm. uh, whatever. And and of course, you know, you have to move on from, you know, boring, you know, I, I was just a, a bland person. Now I'm here and it's going to be like, I was a murderer and I, and I was in jail and they came to me. And, and you know, from there, you know, it's got to get more and more impressive for it to really sure. have that emotional impact for right. you. I'm sure in that context, you know, you. You, I'm sure there's people sitting there like, oh, this is another one of those boring testimonials. Because, you know, you, after you've heard enough of them, you've got to be like, uh. I'm also at a point where is he just is he doing this sermon because they they've they haven't had enough of the testimonials. Oh, I have no idea. I, you almost get the impression that, or, that, that that's what's driving this sermon. Or uh, we haven't had a baptism in a while. Let's go ahead and put it on this date on the calendar. And we need about four weeks out to contact everybody and get all the videos together. Because, hmm. you know, this video editing is not a, a you know, yeah. a, a, a quick task. And so we can say, oh, we need six weeks. Okay, six weeks out. And now I need to be preaching on baptism. Laying the ground. And I and I know about that. I mean, this is one of the things is that baptismal moment in this context. You know, the Billy Graham revivals, you got to have the people come forward. Well, what do they do? They actually have people who come forward. And uh, I talked to a guy who did this one. He goes, I wasn't doing anything deceptive. I was just coming forward. And if somebody else thought that I was going up to get baptized, well, I wasn't. I wasn't I wasn't going to go through. I wasn't going to get baptized. So if they just thought I was coming forward for that, well, I was on them. But if it led to them getting baptized, that's a good thing. But see, all of that is, is a manipulation technique. Well, of course, yeah, and and so and what and this is why it's so important for him to have this baptism because he wants the testimonials because everybody sees the testimonials and it gets them worked up and it it is it is well what it, what is it? It's enthusiasm. That's Correct. what this is, that's and right. and it's this it's this emotional elevation. Uh, that that is more real than regular church. Well, that's funny you mentioned the word elevation. This is a church in Charlotte that was uh, outed, so to speak, uh, by a by the city paper for doing the exact same thing that the Billy Graham Association did, in that they had people. They have a large enough congregation where they had people in their church. So when the pastor said, "Now think about this manipulation," when the pastor said after he's laid out the groundwork for why one needs to be baptized he says now on the uh, count of count of three i want you to stand up right where you are and come down here because you're going to be baptized today we've got packets of clothes and hair dryers and everything that you need there is there's not one excuse in the world for you to delay this this needs to happen right now so one two three snaps his fingers and about a hundred people stand up and start walking down and they were all in on the, when mm-hmm. I snap my finger, you come forward, in hopes that it would give the person who was reticent, uh, give them the courage to stand up. And, and let's be fair, clearly that's not the situation no, no, no. here. No, no, I just think it's interesting that you brought up the Billy Graham thing, and here's this one church that uh, that did it, but it was almost like a like a magic trick, you know? Yeah. One, two, three, and, well, and we do a, this. There is a magical aspect to some of this. I mean... 
One question I always have in that moment of dedication, a moment of giving over yourself is uh, what's their percentage of it sticking? Um, that's not a very technical term, but um, how many people stay in that walk? The, re the retention in most churches, it's about the same. And, and these people come and they have that moment, but then it, they, it fades. And what does that mean? Right? We can't talk... We, you can't talk about that in this situation because that's that's it's a downer. It, yeah, it's a downer. It runs against this this progression of faithfulness. Well, this person had the progression, but then they faded away. What does that mean? We'd just rather not talk about that. Let's just focus on yeah the the people that have stuck. Jesus died for you. He died for you. I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, you believe this. He was beaten and tortured and nailed to a cross. And the New Testament says he did that so you could be forgiven of your sin. He died for you. So a little bit of a fear compared to what your Savior did for you? A little bit of worry, a little bit of anxiety? When you think about the opportunity to share what he's done in your life with so many people, don't we all kind of lose our excuses? That was so nice there for a few seconds, and then it was, pack your bags, we're going on a guilt trip. How tiny did he make Jesus in that moment? Jesus died for you. So you can make a testimonial video, my friend. Because we're six weeks out. Right. <laughs> and uh, that's just, this just breaks my heart. Jesus died for you. Your sins are forgiven. Heaven's your home, brother. You are a new creation. Like, let's not... Let's not turn this into a motivational speech to do a video. Let's turn this into a liberating truth. We have stepped out of darkness into life. Uh, we, have, we have stepped out of falsehood into truth. We are talking about cosmic things that Jesus has done for us on the cross. And he wants us to use the cross to help us overcome uh, stage fright. And I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what else will happen. I know this because I get the letters and the emails after baptisms. On the day you're baptized, the day you share your story, I promise you, there will be somebody in that audience that day that needs to hear your story. There's going to be somebody that day that will need to hear your story. And one of the pushbacks I've heard on the video before is, Tim, my story is like everybody else's. That's the point. Millions of people throughout the centuries have basically the same story. And we didn't all get in a room and decide, okay, what's our story going to be whenever we get baptized in the 21st century? Nobody, no, nobody did that. That's the point. The point is God's story is told through human beings pretty much the same way over and over and over again. And the day you're baptized, there will be somebody in the room and they will need to hear what you have to say the day you say it. And hear me, you may never know your, their name but they will never forget your story because they'll identify with it. They'll say, yeah, that's, that's going on inside of me too. Yeah, that happened to me too. And it'll help them grow in their relationship with Jesus. It'll help them grow in their faith in God. Don't rob them of that just because of a little bit of a fear, a little bit of anxiety. We think this is really important. This is that one thing for some of you. So we want to invite you to take the first step in being baptized, and it's really easy. You put your name and your phone number, and you mark the circle. 
and then we'll have a conversation and we'll walk you through this. And it's okay to be afraid. Everybody's scared of the video. But we can work through that. We think this is important for everyone to go public with their faith at some point. Well, Pastor Oakry, what do you think? I think that he has done something very interesting. Because in the last moments, the last long stretch there, it was very clear that this sermon was never about baptism to begin with. Mm. It was about your testimonial. And I can agree at a, at, to, at a level that your testimonial can be important, that it can speak to a person in, in a way. But what he's doing is he's, repl- just like you said, actually, the testimonial is the means of grace. Right. Not baptism and not even God's word. How are you going to grow in your relationship with Christ? By reading the Bible? Please. No, that's... Who, who, whoever grew in a relationship with God by reading his word? No, you need a testimonial, uh, which is special, which is different, and thus better. And your life in Christ is superior to God's revelation. Your testimony is bigger than baptism. Of course, the Lord's Supper, too, because you're, you're, you're in the driver's seat. That was an incredible little reversal that he did there at the end. I'm going to talk to you about baptism. Haha, <laughs> no, I'm going to talk to you about your testimonial because that's what really matters uh, to me and this church, and that's what's going to change lives. Your baptism isn't going to change anything. That's just an outward act of obedience. <laughs> Who cares? But that video, oh, brother, you're, we're going to change the world through testimonial videos. That's a, that's a heartbreaking change. And, and there, again, there is a place. Paul, Paul says, you know, see my example. Paul uses his own story in, in a few places to encourage other, other Christians. He does. But that's never the point. The point is always Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' death and life for him. And so any story he tells is secondary or, or even tertiary to the, to the main issue. So again, I'm not saying like, don't like, have a testimony, have something to say about your life in Christ. I think we should all have that, but don't make that the thing. The means of grace are always the thing. The word of God, the Lord's Supper, and here, baptism. Because these are, this is God acting on us and putting it, the cross and the truth of the cross on us. And his name. Yes. And, every, and everything swept up into that. It's, it's the whole deal. And yeah, there's a, my life lived out of that matters. Absolutely. But if I lose sight of the thing, then everything gets out of joint. And I start to look like a Picasso painting (laughs) and it's just weird. Interesting, maybe, but weird. And it doesn't work. So is that what this was? Worse than that. I mean, a Picasso has some value. Yeah. A Picasso, at least the, the, the pieces out of place are saying something crasser. And this is like, this is like a drawing of a draft by my daughter. It's, 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 it's well-intentioned, but <laughs> it doesn't get you there at all. Oh, if, I, if you hadn't told me this was a draft, I would have known. If you hadn't told me this was supposed to be a sermon, I would not have known because this really isn't a sermon. So will you come back and uh, critique some more sermons with us? I, I will, and, and I look forward to answering all the angry emails about me being mean about my daughter's art <laughs> as well. You've been listening to the Plucked Chicken Podcast with your hosts, Pastors John Bruss and Devin Kearns. To discover more, go to thepluckedchicken.com or stjohnlcms.com.
Topeka.org.